Welcome to Home Office. I'm Mark Legier. And I'm Sharice Lutzen. Hello, Sharice. Hey, Mark. I'm back. So good to hear your voice. <laughs> yes, I'm back. <laughs> You're back from your vacation. And tell me what exotic locale you visited in the last week. It's this really, you know, off the charts place called my back deck. <laughs> tell me more. Did you have fun? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was fun. Um, definitely needed. Um, you know, even though I stuck stuck uh, pretty close to home, it was you know the break was nice, and of course by the end of it, I was able to uh, reconnect and see and hug some friends since we entered the yellow phase. So it was nice. It was a, it was a nice little break for sure. Right, and of course, you know, our listeners know that you and I are neighbors right across the street. And uh, you know, I I kept my distance, made sure that you had a true vacation and you didn't have to. Uh, see me over the course of that week. So I stayed to my side of the street. Oh, come on. I would, I would always would love to see you, but uh, yeah, no, I, pre- I appreciate the thought. <laughs> I'm actually quite looking forward to uh, seeing you and the rest of the team very soon since we're able to go back to the office. So I'm hoping to uh, get down there tomorrow and see all you guys again. Yeah, well, and you know, uh, on that note, uh, we've actually this week, uh, on this week's home office, we're actually... Uh, violating the the theme of the show, which is that we hosted it out of our homes and talked to people in their homes. And uh, I am, uh, I hate to say, Sharice, I'm actually down at the office in the boardroom set up here. I actually am back in the company's true home office. Right, right. Well, we are having some uh, internet difficulties recording this earlier, so I can understand. I forgive you. And as you'll find out uh, later on in our chat, just before we go to our interview, I actually uh, did, um, or I also did our first interview out of the office as well. Right, right. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Who are, who are we talking to? Well, this week we're, we're talking to, Sharice, ever since we started this show, I have wanted to, there are a lot of entrepreneurial creative uh, couples in, uh, in the Maritimes. And, you know, I, I can think of several, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, and I've, I've looked forward to sort of digging in and interviewing some of them. And uh, this week, uh, we decided to go with uh, Robert Moore and Judith Mackin. And uh, Judith Mackin is a well-known entrepreneur in St. John. Uh, I must admit off the top, I'll, I'll come through with my conflict. Uh, Judith and I go back 20 years. We started a, a weekly newspaper in, in New Brunswick way back in 2000, uh, called Here, Here Newspaper. And it was a, a weekly here in the city that, that, that expanded to, to Moncton eventually. And so she and I were, were partners on starting that project. So I've known her going a long way back. And, uh, and since then, Judith uh, has been kind of a, an entrepreneurial uh, dynamo for a lack of, uh, lack of a better phrase. She's, she's actually, she started that newspaper with me, with, uh, started here. She also, you know, eventually hosted her own national CBC uh, radio show. She, uh, she's organized lots of really uh, cool uh, and successful events around St. John. She has, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get lost uh, trying to recount Judith's various entrepreneurial activities. <laughs> um, and she's also uh, most recently worked as, a, an, as an interior designer. She, she does commercial and residential interior design and she also runs her own shop uh, on on uh, uh, retail shop on prince william street in the heart of uh, town st john and as you'll discover in the interview she's also moved beyond well beyond bricks and mortar 
and uh, through COVID-19 has, has developed uh, a very successful online business, which is part of the reason for the conversation that we're going to have here today. And I know, Sharice, you've, you've interviewed Judith several times uh, for things, for stories that we've done in Huddle. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's always, she's a big advocate and kind of mover and shaker for, uh, to use that term in St. John. Um, and I've always enjoyed talking to her and I always love hearing her thoughts on things. So I'm really excited to, to hear this conversation. Yeah. And, and I really wanted to include, uh, her, her partner, Robert Moore in this, in this conversation, um, Robert, uh, and they, they cross paths because one of the things that Judith has done in the past and she'll still does, and she's also a gallery curator. And um, Robert, uh, who when I first met Robert, he was um, a poet, he was uh, a university professor, an actor, and a director. So Robert's um, creative entrepreneurial endeavors were already pretty diverse way back when I first met him. Uh, And um, at 66 years old, he added painter to uh, his uh, list of, of talents and accomplishments. And for the last uh, few years, has been a very prolific painter. And I, I, I'm going to, Sharice, this is where I start to trip over what I say. And when I did the interview with Judith and Robert, um, I was so careful to talk about painting because I'm basically inept at it. <laughs> but, but Robert's paintings are, they're magical, quite honestly. Like he's, he's very thoughtful. He's very playful. Um, very political in a lot of his art in, in, you know, in very subtle ways that you have to study them closely to see that. But, um, you know, very compelling, very interesting paintings. And, and uh, I first learned about Robert's paintings through Instagram. He, they would come up in my feed and, and I started looking for them. And he picked up a brush when he was 66 years old, uh, you know, very talented already and very creative and very confident. Uh, person and he set about developing developing himself as an artist and it's you know he wouldn't describe it this way but it has you know turned into a bit of a, a business right he he sells a lot of work and you know not just through COVID nineteen but over the last uh, couple of years sold that work through through Instagram in a lot of ways so Robert and Judith can both talk about kind of the business of art. And a lot of uh, this moving online through platforms like um, through platforms like Instagram. So I was excited to have a chat with the two of them about, you know, being really creative uh, risk takers as as entrepreneurs and and as artists. And uh, you know, they they're examples of of not just couples but also people that are doing that. And I think it's um, you know, personally, I think it's a really important conversation to have in COVID nineteen when we're we're really insecure about the kinds of pivots businesses are going to have to take, um, the t- kinds of risks people are going to have to take in, you know, choosing the right education and and choosing the job that they want. Right? We're we are in that very much in that zone now where I think we're all going to have to be risk takers to a degree. So I think uh, I was really excited to have a, a chat with a couple of um, the biggest risk takers I know. Well, let's get into it then. All right. Hi, Judith. Hi, Robert. Hello. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Not at all. Our pleasure. It yeah. is our pleasure. It's good to see somebody, albeit six feet away, in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Yes, six feet away. Yes. <laughs> flesh time. Very <laughs> flesh time. So, Judith, um, I'm, I've left it up to you to, to break the first rule of, of home office, which is that we were doing all these shows out of our home offices. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it to Judith Mackin to like throw out the formula. 
And this is actually the first face-to-face -face interview I've done with you and Robert here. So set the scene for us. Where are we? So we are on the second floor in the old post office building, uh, built after the Great Fire in 1878. And we're in our commercial condo space, which is uh, off the main floor on Prince William Street. And um, it's kind of empty right now. It's in, in between stages. We've been working on this space probably for two years. And um, it's just one of those projects that keeps morphing and taking on another life every time uh, we keep adding elements to it. But right now it's being used for a podcast. So yeah. you're the first podcast uh, person we've had here. It's a studio. <laughs> it's a studio. Yes. Yeah, when I look around and I see Robert's artwork around here. Mm -hmm. Always, yes. Yeah. So tell me, um, you, you both been working out of home? Because I know, Judith, now you've opened, reopened Tuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, we, even though we were closed for, even though we were closed, I guess, for nine weeks, um, we were still working out of the store at a social distance. Like, we were still working just not open to the public you had curbside pickup we had curbside pickup and uh, a very busy time for us and deliveries you were also doing deliveries and deliveries a lot of deliveries yeah amazoning amazon and you were just painting up a storm yeah well i'm on sabbatical so uh, i had nowhere to be anyway so you know just long days in the studio well one of the reasons well one of the many reasons why i wanted to to talk to both of you is kind of is over the years I've admired the pivots that you both have taken like I've I've become a big fan of yours Judith and watching your I don't even want to call it a career your your different paths and and the journeys you've taken and when I met Robert he was a professor and uh, and a poet and an actor and then I discovered that he was a painter largely through Instagram and uh, so I really wanted to sit down and have a chat with you guys about, um, you know, your the creative entrepreneurial paths that you're both on. And I know they do interconnect. And uh, so I think where I'd like to start, Judith, is I'll start with you. And I, I'd love to, to hear from you what inspired you to go on the path of creating Tuck and developing that business. That's a probably a good starting point for us. So... I didn't start out, um, you know, back in 2000, I guess, when my entrepreneurial journey started. I never really started out thinking I wanted to be anything. I kind of was always just interested in projects and learning and surrounding myself with people that were doing really interesting things. So you, of course, were one of those first people. We became business partners with Janet and a few others back in 2000 when we started here. But as you know, I didn't sort of say, I'm going to be a co-publisher of an alternative newspaper and that's going to be my career. I think I just was like, what's the gaps that are missing in our city and how can we surround ourselves with the people and, and bring like-minded people to make that movement happen? And so the, the newspaper or the third space gallery or a space gallery as it used to be called or Happiness Wine Bar or Punch Productions or Tuck Studio, all of those things for me were never uh, planned. They were just sort of like a natural progression of working on projects that I thought would bring sort of 
um, life and vitality to uh, a really interesting city with challenges and gaps, I guess. So Tuck uh, was always uh, furniture and decor and decorating has been, you know, it's cliche, but it's been in my bones since I was like, I don't know, in grade one, decorating my room for my parents with a scorecard. Like, I just really love going into a space and making it comfortable and homey. And so really, why not just make that your career, for lack of a better word? And so I think all the steps over 20 years have just sort of led me into that. I don't know if that answered the question, but um, I never really started out, I guess, thinking of even of myself as an entrepreneur. I just think of myself as somebody that just gets up and is like friggin' blessed to do what I do every single day and get paid for it. I, I remember early on, um, and this will lead to a question, I promise. <laughs> Says the king of tangents. <laughs> it was about a month before we, we started the, the newspaper and we'd been talking about it for probably eight or nine months and planning and meeting as we like to as do. As we did, yes. And I remember one meeting where you sort of stopped us and said, okay, we either launch this thing inside a month or I'm out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the things I learned from you early on, you know, uh, as young entrepreneurs together is that kind of just, just do it mentality. Uh, did you bring a little bit of that to this? Because where, did you have that kind of aha moment where you said, you know, this is, this is the path I want to take and I'm going to take it now. Um, I don't remember the particular moment. I remember, um, very dear friends, uh, Stephanie Bell and Mel Norton, I guess it was about 12 years ago, they asked me if I would uh, redo their living room for them. They were my first client. And I just couldn't believe, A, that somebody was going to like pay me to <laughs> decorate their house. And um, it really just became, it, it was a morphed out of, it was something that morphed out of that. And then it's like everything, once people like endorse your work and you start getting more clients, all of a sudden you're like, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And then, and then for me, because I'm completely self-taught, it was really important for me to do a lot of research and a lot of training on my own. Uh, as you probably remember, I wrote a column for three years for the Telegraph Journal, you know, which was uh, my own personal journey and understanding about design and industrial design. And then when we were building the house, uh, I had thought about putting a studio just sort of for my clients in, in the lower level. And Robert, who is more entrepreneurial than I am, it turns out, said, why don't you just make it open to the public? And this just seemed like a crazy idea to me. But of course, it was like, okay, let's do the next thing. Let's open up a store in the basement of our new home and call it Tuck. And so, and then it was just very much about doing the next thing. And crazily enough, people came. Like, we weren't even on Google Maps. The driveway was crazy. But there were so many people that, again, like, if you believe in what you're doing and you're passionate if about it. If you build it, it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. Um, all of a sudden, it was like we now had a growing clientele. And then we knew this was also, sorry to keep prefacing Mel Norton, but he at the time was our mayor. And we knew that the city was on the verge of something great was going to be happening uptown. 
And Robert and I remember we had this discussion and we said, we need to be part of that. We need to move our store uptown. Hmm. But secretly, I think you just wanted the space for your new studio. Yeah, I did want the house back. <laughs> you wanted the house back. <laughs> so yeah, I think, Mark, to answer your question, um, all of the things, all of the projects, all of the people that I've partnered with or been involved with, it's just been a natural progression of doing things that I love and that people also seem to love as well. Because you're only as successful as, you know, your clientele, your community, the people you surround yourself with. Right. And so, Robert, where, where do you come into this? Because I'm going to say, so I was going to make a little joke and I was going to say, so the, the, the tenured professor was the entrepreneurial spark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, I'm just listening to Judith and, remind, and her trajectory is very much, I think, consonant with mine. I've never planned to be anything. I can't think that, uh, you know, I dropped out of high school and uh, back when that was a crime against nature, it was relatively uncommon in those days. It was like shooting Archduke Ferdinand or something. My family took it very badly. But anyway, I got started just doing, I just thought, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And uh, ultimately ended up going to university and ultimately ended up becoming a professor, but I never set out to become any of the things I've become. It's always I look back and I think, oh yeah, I guess I am that. I am a professor, I am a poet, because I wrote some poetry. But I never set out to be a poet. Never set out to be a painter. Just paint. Which is something interesting about about both of you, because I don't think, you know, and I, you know, off the top, I, you know, I actually mentioned three things that you were, that I knew, right? And you were a professor, and I knew you were an actor and a director, and I knew that you were a poet and, mm. and then a painter. And we could say the same thing for you, Judith, right? A, a newspaper publisher, uh, a radio show creator. Um, and now in the business that you're in now, uh, I can't carefully put labels on mm -hmm. any of the three, of, on, on either of you. Mm -hmm. um, so for you, it was very much like that when you were developing? Robert? Yeah, it's always been just do the next thing. The most recent iteration of this is painting, and you say, well, why did you become a painter? I could tell you more about why I'm no longer a poet. Follows from a reading in the Hamilton Public Library, in which there were more poets than audience. And I said, what? <laughs> what is this? Why am I bothering with this? No one reads this shit. And I think that was pretty much the uh, tipping point for me in terms of poetry. I enjoyed it. It was a good run. After pine, you realize no one's listening. <laughs> so uh, then I thought, well, what else do I want to do? Well, I've always wanted to paint. So I'll paint. So, so, so tell me, tell me about that moment then. So obviously, you had to sit down and produce your first work. So yes. what, what, what inspired you to do that? What, the first work specifically, or just start to paint? To so start to paint and the first work. Uh, well, my brother was a painter, so I've always sort of been around it, and uh, he passed. And I think in some sense that opened up a psychic space for me because I hadn't really attempted seriously, I think so, uh, my teens. So I started and uh, started badly. <laughs> As Judith pointed out to me, I started very badly. And then I thought, fuck this. I'm, oh, can I say fuck this? You no. sure can. Oh, oh. I, <laughs> I said, fuck this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be better. So I did something that was better. 
she approved of it, and then okay, <laughs> this this thing might actually work, and then you just start and you just do the next thing, you know, paint the next thing, learn how to use your paints, learn how to use all of the materials, the brushes, the canvas, and it's just it's just a wonderful private apprenticeship. Yeah, and I think the thing that you're probably not talking about is the fact that you just started painting at age 66. Right. Like this is just sort of the norm for you. You kind of wash over that. For the rest of us, speaking for myself anyway, I find that incredibly courageous and inspiring. I don't get what's the courage. I don't get the courage because what have I got to lose? I suppose I could just look like an asshole or you know who thinks that's painting. You know, maybe I am. <laughs> I could be an asshole. Now you always have to remember you could be the asshole. Uh, but I don't think of it as courage at all interest you just follow your interests mm -hmm. and i suppose if i died for six months and it wasn't panning out i'd be a dancer now oh god <laughs> let's stick with the painting let's stick with the painting yeah. yeah when i think too you know one of the reasons why i loved having this kind of conversation now is like we are in a place right now you know starting hopefully to come out of the the covid19 crisis where you know, businesses are trying to pivot and have to do different things. Mm. Um, people are in, I, you'll face them in the classroom, I'm sure, right? Mm. People are in classrooms trying to figure out what the right career path is. And, right. and so what kind of education should they get? Mm. And, and can I really take that risk in business that's going to take me in a different direction? And I think um, when we were doing kind of the, I guess you would call it the pre-interview for this on, on the weekend when we were having a chat, we we kind of fell into the conversation around, I don't know, having having the confidence in 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 yourself and in your abilities to to take these different directions. Mm -hmm. um, which you know, when I thought about having this conversation with the two of you, uh, you know, I'm really curious to see what the intersections and the way in which you support each other. Mm -hmm. But I also saw separately as individuals you taking different paths and and taking pivots that you're confident about. Mm -hmm. um, but also it had developed the skills and attitude that allowed you to confidently make these shifts, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I recall from that conversation that uh, as soon as we stopped talking, I thought of this, uh, that that Beckett, that famous Beckett, uh, I guess from uh, Malone Dies, is fail, fail again, fail better, is that failure is built into the process. And it's learning to embrace your accident, learning to embrace accidents and exploit them because accidents are always teaching you something you didn't know. And then failure is the great teacher of all time. And, you know, painting, if we just bring it back to painting just briefly, you know, I probably, every painting that anybody would see there often on that canvas, there are six paintings underneath it. It's literally built upon six failures. And that for that painting that emerges, it required the underlay of six failures. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the painting that it is. And that's sort of the microcosm for the whole process of growth. Yeah. And I think also, like, for both of us, we don't, like, we're very disciplined people, but we're also just about doing the work. Like, we don't take ourselves that seriously. So it's like, okay. If this doesn't work or this business doesn't, you know, like, what if you got to lose, really? Mm. Like, so what? You pick up and you move on. But, like, you're no further behind by failing than not trying to be in, in the first place. So, 
And then the other thing is, is like, it's really, I feel really uh, grateful because Robert and I have been together 13 or 14 years, but like, he's always got my back. Like, and that is just like a remarkable thing. So, you know, if I want to try something or it's, it's not a good idea, there's always that person to bounce those things back. And I'll be the first one to say to Robert, I don't think that painting should go on Instagram. <laughs> you know, And I mean, sometimes we clash, we, you know, we give each other trouble, but really I don't, I don't see us as being anything more courageous or working harder. We're just doing the work hmm. and and it just happens to be working you know and and I mean especially in this day and age with social media like if Robert had picked up painting maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago you know it would all be about you know did you go to NASCAD you know do you have a gallerist that representing you you know you need to have your work on a wall you know you need to have to go to the art center for like two years getting on the waiting list and now it's like we've all just sort of social media has allowed that for so many people, like even with podcasts, like like you're doing. I mean, back in the day, you had to have a CBC radio show. Now you have your own microphone and you hang your shingle. And and that's been like not just a great thing for, for Robert and for Tuck, but for so many people that are aspiring to like make their way in the world. And what, what, what do you get out of it? You get the like, you get the share, but really you, you don't have anything to lose and everything to gain, you know? And Robert is doing extremely well with his art. It's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I'm going to say that because I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> your, story, your story's doing well. <laughs> Here, here's a question for both of you and I'm not even going to try because I'll be so intimidated in front of the artist and the curator <sighs> but let, uh, describe Robert's work for me what, what, what inspires Robert so most of the time uh, I will come often I will come home and I will look at a painting and I'll just be going what the F like I have no idea what I'm looking at and then I'll say, tell me about the painting. And he's like, no, that's not my, that's not my job. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you about what the painting is. And then he's like the typical professor. What do you think the painting is about? Which drives me batty. But um, most of the time, Robert is working through things in his paintings. Like he'll do the beautiful little rabbit, which is very decorative and they sell like hotcakes. But then he'll do like a, a painting of David with a Gucci handbag and it's saying a whole lot more. Right. Um, so in order for me to try to explain Robert's artwork, I can't. I just know that he's bringing 40 years of literature and history and philosophy uh, to his work. And I think that most of the people that like his work and buy his work recognize that. And so um, I hope I've, I've honored your work. Oh, OK, there. Good. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Nope. It's hard to talk about people's work, right? And the other thing is, is Robert, like, he won't even talk about his work. He, you know, he's not that type of guy that gets on Instagram or Facebook and starts talking about his feelings or the intention of the painting or this big artist statement. He's just like, I painted this today. Here it is. You know, let the market dictate. I think that both, both of us don't really, like, put art on this, like, special in the special place. Mm -hmm. 
it's a commodity. People buy art just like they buy a sofa, just like, you know, it, it's, it's special, it's lovely, but it's not precious. Right. One, which is interesting to, to consume, to consume it through Instagram for that reason, mm -hmm. right? Like, cause I mean, I, I wouldn't even take a, take a stab at what I think. I know what inspires me when I see it. Like I, I see, I see playfulness. Mm -hmm. I see beauty. I, I see careful thought. Mm -hmm. Like so when I see your work, that's what I see. And, and, and I can't describe it any better than that myself. Uh, and, but I am consuming it right now, largely through, through Instagram. So I'd, I'd like to hear, you know, a little bit from both of you on, did this, does it surprise you that this has become this kind of, uh, gallery and, and place to sell artwork? I mean, Judith, you've been, you've been around galleries for a long time now and, uh, mm -hmm. and you've been a curator and, and, and you've sold art. Like, is this, mm -hmm. how new is this and how surprised were you? So... It's two-part, actually. Um, when we had Tuck Interiors uh, on on Granham Street, about a year after Robert had been painting, he said, I want to have a show. And I was like, okay, that's soon. Why not? Let's do it. You know? And I'm sure there were some pieces there that you look back on now saying probably wasn't my best work, but who cares? It's, it's, it's all about getting your work out there. But that was sort of like a jumping off uh, point, I think, for Robert. You met a lot of your patrons or, or people that bought work at that show that continue to follow you. Mm -hmm. But uh, in interest of full disclosure, I Robert doesn't run his Instagram account. And when he does, I usually like ream him out because he uses really bad photography. It's like out of focus. And I'm just like, ah, why didn't you wait till I get home? I will photograph it for you. But in a, in a sense, Robert... And if I'm wrong, correct me, but Certainly he's will. just interested in going into the studio, listening to his podcast and doing the work. What I do with it afterwards by, you know, promoting it and putting it on Instagram or having it in the store. Um, I think that that's just sort of secondary to you. Mm -hmm. It's always great when you sell the work, but if Robert didn't sell any painting, I don't think he would care. He really loves the art of painting. Mm -hmm. That's and that's a that's a really uh, beautiful place and position to be in. But yeah, Instagram is like printing money. Like we learned this not to take the focus off you, but we learned this through Tuck. Like we were doing Instagram stories, and it's like you would say, "This is what we're selling. This is the sale price," and the emails would just come flooding in. And that's the new norm of how people are shopping now. It's like instant, quick, you know, the stories go through. Yep, I like that. And then you send a message and you buy it. It's incredible. It's like you've got instant access to everybody's front of mind. Exactly. You know, I think we're just watching Judith uh, use Instagram. You know, they literally put something up on Instagram and it sells. It's like she got drills right into everybody's foreheads. Mm. And, you know, 15, 16 people will respond. It's extraordinary. Yeah, <laughs> it is extraordinary. So why why aren't we using that for art? Like why aren't we using that for mm -hmm. like it's not a it's not a precious medium. Like use it, mm -hmm. get more original art into people's lives. Right. And the 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 message. What is it? The message is the medium. The medium is the message. Like right. go for it. <laughs> I'm curious, Robert, because I mean I know early on we were chatting. You're kind of. You're joking about uh, you know leaving poetry behind and becoming a painter. Mm -hmm. 
And some people might not think that that was a sure path to more commercial success. Um, Which what, poetry? Going from poetry to, uh, to painting. It could only go up. It could only go so, up. But, but it makes me curious, right? Because I know, I know, you're, you, know you, you mainly work from inspiration. Mm. And, and, and so I know that there's a little part of me that's, that's joking about, you know, the, the, uh, having more poets in the room than, because mm-hmm. I know there's an inspiration to, to writing your poetry mm-hmm. that, that, that was beyond the audience uh, and how large it was. Right. But I'm curious to know you, how you react to, um, to selling paintings. Like, so you're inspired to produce a work. Do you get a kind of visceral kind of thrill when... Judas says, I sold that one in five oh, minutes. Oh, very much so. Oh, no, no, no. Let's, not, let's not discount the thrill of the sale. Uh, no, that's, that's very, I would be, I would miss it. I'm not sure how long I would paint if nobody ever bought a painting. I might just ultimately dry up like poetry. Uh, no, no, that's very much part of that process. Part of the arc of the painting is thinking of it, then working through all the problems, and, and then it arrives in the doorstep of Judith's estimation. And then it sells or it doesn't. That's just kind of, that's kind of interesting to me. You know, some of the paintings I think is my best work. No one really has responded to at all, and that's really instructive. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I answered your question. Yeah, no, for sure. What I find interesting um, is that the majority of the work that Robert sells are to people that don't know him. Like usually when you're <laughs> you start off in an art form, all your friends buy your artwork because they feel sorry for you. <laughs> like half of our friends or 45, 50% have never bought any of Robert's work. So no, I think that that really speaks to uh, the market dictating that they love Robert's work when it's somebody that you have no relationship with and they just decide that they're going to invest their, their dollars into buying that. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, just not an answer, I know there's an interruption or an elaboration of a point we were talking about earlier, but one of the things that most interests me about painting, I come from other art forms which require mediation at institutions, like theater, that was the machine we required to put on a play, and the amount of cooperation, the number of people, and then the building, and then the tickets, and then poetry requires a whole, there's a whole publishing industry associated with it, the touring and all of that. So between you and your audience, there was this, in the case of theater especially, this enormous cumbersome machine. But now with painting, it's me, the canvas, and then the person who sees it and buys it. It's so clean and pure and immediate. It's... And Instagram. And Instagram, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, that's, uh, that was the Instagram point I was, I was thinking of, is that, yeah. you know, it just goes up on Instagram immediately in front of however many eyeballs and uh, mm. people thumbs up or thumbs down and then we move on. Mm. It, it, it makes me wonder and, and to kind of the business side of it and, and the work you do around it, Judith, like is, 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 has that machinery changed for, for, for selling artwork? Because presumably there still is a bit of a gauntlet to get past if you're still in conventionally, um, doing gallery shows and trying to sell internationally and is, is the social media changing the way that we sell art? Oh, I think, I think so. I mean, I'm not alone in this. Every, any gallery that's not using Instagram or, you know, any institution that's not using social media or let it, it's like, it's just like you, you just, you're not even doing your artist a, a, a service really if you're not, but 
I think the other side of it is, is like Robert and I don't have big aspirations for him to be like, you know, shipping work, uh, although he is shipping work within Canada now. Uh, he just got a commission in Ottawa. But, I, I mean, there's me representing and, and working with Robert, and then it's me representing artists that are at Tuck. And it's not just Robert that's selling a lot of work. Our artists, we, we have six artists that we represent at Tuck, and only six. I'm not trying to be a gallery. I've, I've honed in on, you know, a very special, eclectic group of talented individuals, and we sell an enormous amount of their work, mm -hmm. as they would all tell you. And all of that, I mean, yes, it's about people coming into the store and having the occasional launch, but the reality is, is that people are going online, looking at our online shop, and then asking for more information. And I mean, it's, it's, this, is the, this is the new future. This is the now. This is how it's happening. Yeah. Um, and then we also, you know, if people do come in pre-COVID, if people came in and said, you know, I really love that painting, I'm like, take it with you, you know, live with it for a while. I mean, gallerists have been doing that for a while. But people now are, are conditioned to, to just want to buy and be in the moment of it's like online shopping back in the day on television right now it's like on your phone and uh we were looking at your books a couple of days ago <clears throat> and you're looking at advertising what you pay for advertising last year and what mm. you're paying this year and you've mm. gone way down this year yeah Remember even faithful guys and google yeah. uh, the whole notion of advertising now seems to have flipped yeah but instagram's free mm. it's immediate and it's super successful yeah, I'm just waiting for like Instagram to put the screws to every business now and say <laughs> you're gonna have to pay mm -hmm. for your Instagram stories. Like it's inevitable because it's it's like Facebook did the same thing, right? It's like now you've got all of these shares and all of these like you know you're making money, and then it's like no, you have to pay for that now. And I'm just scared to death that's gonna happen. But you know what? We'll find a way around it. One of the same thing is happening in the publishing industry with uh, with with Facebook, right? Um, yeah. it, it it leads me to a, a curiosity, a question around how things have been for you through COVID nineteen with the business. How has it grown? Has it shifted? Tell me a little bit about that. So I'll just talk about Tuck, I guess first. Um, so me, along with the rest of the world, you know, there was a day we sent out the video, put the sign up on the door saying, you know, we're closing our doors. We, we along with the rest of the, the, the world. And I was really scared. I, I like, I had no idea really what to expect. Every day things were changing so quickly. But the one thing that I knew was that I did not want to lay my team off. Like I have an incredibly hardworking team and I thought, you know, I had some money saved up, you know, for a rainy day as you're supposed to when you're an entrepreneur. And I thought I have like, I have at least a month that I don't have to really worry about paying my team if, if there's no money, you know? And so I said, I asked my team, I said like, let's just hustle really hard and just see what we can do. And we basically within two days sat down and came up with a plan to create an enormous amount of free content. 
So, I mean, I think I, I feel sorry for the people that ended up having to watch me all the time, but it was like, I did so much free content around videos, like how to style a bar cart, how to make a cozy living room, you know, how to, um, I can't even remember Mantle now, mantelpieces. Like mm -hmm. I was just constantly giving out all of this free content. And then in that free content, it just happened to be all of these items that we sell or you know our, our six artists uh, artwork would be in the background and it was like incredible to me uh, as well as doing all the social media how people just supported that like we we didn't have I mean Heather and Ellen and probably Josh even working remotely in BC we didn't have days off for weeks. We worked, even on Easter day, people were shopping. And, and so it's like you have a captive audience, but we also gave an enormous amount of energy and customer service. I was driving all over the valley. I was making promises to do this and do that and delivery, like curbside pickup. But that's what this has also taught me. It's like, we had to figure out a way how to beat Amazon, right? Because Amazon was getting everybody's business. Everybody's just at home on their computer. We had to find a way to get the product into our clients' hands faster and more efficiently. And that's what we did. So all of a sudden it was like, you could buy this on Amazon and get it maybe in four or five days because of COVID slowing down, or you can have me drop it off at your doorstep tomorrow, instant gratification. And that is really what we've learned. So, and this whole idea of shop local is bullshit. We have not been making it easy for our clientele to shop local. We've been saying, Get in your car, park on Prince William Street, bitch about the parking, come in with your stroller, come in with your kids, look around the store, see what you want, buy it, and then get back in your car and go do that. Well, that, that business model doesn't work anymore. The business model now is here's all of our product online, pre-shop, let us know what you want, we'll have it all set and ready to go for you to pick up, or we can do a delivery like X amount of days out of the week. And so our business model is changing now. We're only going to be open from 12 till five. Why? Because we're spending much more time on backend web development. We're spending an enormous amount of time on Instagram stories and content. And the reality is, Mark, honestly, people will still come between the 12 and five mark. It doesn't matter. Like this idea of everybody has to be open on the street at 10 o'clock in the morning when there's like tumbleweed going down on a Tuesday morning, that shit's over. Like, we're done with that. It's a new way of thinking. I feel like an evangelist here. <laughs> but this, this stuff excites me because it's like, without all of this, we wouldn't have learned this. We were just, you know, plodding along thinking that this was the norm. And the norm just isn't going to fly anymore. <sighs> what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it made me it made me think too of you know the different kinds of, of local entrepreneurs, and I'd love to sure you've been talking to some of them. Um, you know, uh, I got uh, you know a roti, my favorite roti, delivered to my door, yes. uh, and uh, you know she would laugh because I've already like I must really love these rotis because it's the second podcast I've talked about these rotis, <laughs> and uh, and. And I was so excited to see that thing show up at my door. Yeah. So she was so excited to bring it. She was on a series of deliveries. 
Before that, I always had to find her food truck or I had to go to the market at the right time. Right. And, you know, when I asked her after, I said, are you going to return to the old model? And, and she said, well, yes, but I'm going to keep this one too. Mm-hmm. So she'll keep doing that. You know, I hear people excited because there's the board game store across the street from us on Prince William that's, that's doing deliveries yeah. and prompt deliveries in the same way mm-hmm. as you're talking about, you know, beating Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, people are having craft beer delivered to their door right. locally. Road coffee. And, and so the other thing, which I can't even believe I forgot about, was believe it or not, in eight years that we've had Tuck, I have never done a virtual consult. So just think about mm. that for a second. Mm. <laughs> we set it up, and we didn't do that till like four weeks into COVID because we wanted to make sure the platform worked. We, you know, had all everything and because you want every level of customer service to be like top notch. The amount of business that we got from doing home virtual consults, and it was you pay X amount of money for that hour, which you got an enormous amount of information. Then you just sent them a list of all the things that you thought that would go nicely or what they should do in their home. And then if they spend over a thousand dollars, they got the consult for free. This wasn't just in St. John. I had clients in Mississauga, in Toronto, in British Columbia. Um, That was a different client, but yeah, like just the amount of business. And then we could have things drop shipped to them. It was like incredible. I don't think I'll ever go to a person's house ever again. (laughs) Like, not really, but I mean, you can do so much and that's now in our business model. So I'm not every day getting in a car, going out to Grand Bay for 45 minutes, having an hour consult, coming back 45 minutes. Like I've just saved myself two hours to be more productive, to be doing other things. So COVID, like it could have destroyed us, but you know, the, the 2020 word of, of the year pivot, we pivoted. And we're so much stronger for it. And, and I think it's the same also even with art or even the, uh, the artists that talk. I wasn't deliberately selling their work, but it was always in the background. And then we would do an occasional nod to it and people would be like, oh, I love Christiana Meyer's Comforts of Home. And we would, you know, do the, do the, the blog or the video. And then people would just call in and say, you know, we want this, this, this and this. It's, it's a remarkable discovery. Were your parents evangelical? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And now you have to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely raised in the church, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we can't let that inside joke pass. No. <laughs> the, but, uh, but that, sorry, sorry, just to finish that, though. It's like, because I'm not excited about how this is just for tuck. I'm excited about sharing those ideas with other small businesses and other entrepreneurs, right? Because it's not just about whether Tuck survives COVID, it's how about all of our neighbors on Prince William Street in Canterbury? Like I, I want to be able to share those lessons learned and continued lessons, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, because, uh, and, and it's been a lot of the, the coverage of, of Huddle over the last several weeks, it's been continual coverage of and 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 i don't criticize these things because they're absolutely fine a lot of the small business loans to keep people afloat 
a lot of the wage subsidies to keep people employed or if they're not employed to keep them able to pay the rent and able to um, you know cover groceries and, and support their families but because of the there's been this every day Trudeau is having another press conference and Blaine Higgs is having another press conference to announce more support which again totally legitimate not criticizing it yeah. but it, it created this kind of it can create that kind of uh, attitude of we're just going to survive this and try to come out the other end. Mm. And what interests me about talking to you and I think, and, and talking to both of you and talking to other entrepreneurs is that idea that um, we're not just going to survive this. We're going to come out, we're going to come out stronger. We're going to learn from it. Mm. And one of the expressions I think I've heard you use before uh, that's kind of stuck with me is um, thinking of yourself. And if I put this wrong, you can kind of correct it. Thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur, not a small business person mm -hmm. and then creating a kind of different mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, small businesses, a lot of them just said, well, I'm going to lay off my team. And I understand like in the restaurant business, there are certain business models where you don't have a choice, but there were a lot of people that just cut their team off first because that was like their biggest expense as opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to use my best asset and, and, and put my faith in the, that team. And uh, I think that's more of an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Um, but the, the real thing is, it's like, the other thing I've learned about this is that we had a captive audience for nine weeks. People are now starting to come out of that. The real work is going to happen now because people are now in my world going to Marshalls, going to Winners. They're going to forget completely that, you know, we were the people that were here hustling and working hard in small business. People will very quickly move right back into their old behaviors, right? So for me and for our team, we now have to figure out how post-COVID is going to look. You know, going through COVID was one thing, but we have a whole new uh, set of challenges uh, coming for us, but we're ready, we're, you know, and it's like we started off with this conversation. So what happens if we fail? We fail. We try and pivot and do something new. It's when you stop trying and you just don't, you know, you, you, you do things like a small business person, not an entrepreneur. That's when you get into trouble. Mm. Yeah. You know, there, obviously there are challenges for, for entrepreneurs um, coming into this. Uh, there's also workforce challenges. So what, what are the young people going to do coming out of schools and post-COVID post and the way new, the new job market looks? And I'm curious, Robert, because you, you talk to students a lot. And I know you're on sabbatical right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself as setting any kind of example for, for students just in terms of, I mean, you're teaching English students mm -hmm. and not preparing them for a job market, but for preparing them to yeah. to be able to take care of themselves and find something they're committed to and passionate about, but also get paid for. Right, right. Yeah, I think, uh, as you suggest, I teach English students, so they're automatically sympathetic to the non-applied or non-instrumental approach to life and uh, are used to sort of following their passions with no uh, immediate uh, material end in mind. I don't know. I think this. I think this COVID, this uh, world, this is the first sort of world event that we've all had to share in, and I think there's going to be a profound change just generally through all of our institutions, uh, 
we were talking with friends the other night about a um, uh, that the, the guaranteed income that that Andrew Yang ran on, and that that may be the new norm is that we all get paid, we all just get paid as citizens. There's not there's not going to be enough work. I just I don't know. I really I'm not an authority on it. I I, I don't know anything. Any of us really know this period. I think I'm excited by the period we're moving into because I think it's going to require an enormous adjustment on all of our uh, and everyone's behalf on all kinds of levels that we just can't anticipate. But yeah, it'd be a tough time to be a student because it's difficult to aim at anything now because the target's moving very quickly. So I would just say my advice to students, and it's not what you asked me, but my advice was the students would be just follow your passions. Study what you want to study. Uh, and it'll work out for you. And, and in some ways, you know, talking to both of you, thinking of that entrepreneurial path. And again, this is a, this is a tough, really tough, tough question to answer. At some point, I know that you've both taken great risks, but you've, you've taken calculated risks, right? Like mm -hmm. you've, when you've made pivots, you've, you've generally succeeded. What gave you not just the confidence to try, but also the ability to succeed? I will always um, give that back to the people I surround myself with. You know, um, Judith Mackin is the one that gets like all the bravado and the praise, but it's bullshit. It's, I, I happen to be like at the helm, but I have like an entire, I've always had like since I met you in 1997, like when we started the Space Gallery, the minute that I started surrounding myself with the right people, and the most caring people, um, that's where your success comes from. It really has, and then it's like if you hang out, if you hang out with awful people, they're going to bring you down. And so it's like Chris Lloyd and Jason and Karina and I decided we were going to start a gallery. So we did it. And they were like-minded people. We decided we were going to start a newspaper. You know, we decided we were going to build this crazy house on the hill. Like I'm only successful because I surround myself with people that are usually smarter than me, uh, you know, have a different experience than me and I can learn from. And, and so for, it's the same with like going forward, Robert and I don't really plan. We're not that calculated in many ways. Like, you know, we bought a cottage off Instagram without even seeing it because I knew that we wanted to live there. <laughs> like, that wasn't probably the smartest move. It turned out to be an incredible, uh, a life-altering thing for both of us. But, like, I think, I don't know. I, I don't think that we have been, uh, I think that if we're successful, it's because we just trusted in each other and trusted the people around us. To, to make it happen. And St. John is incredible when it comes to like you saying, we want to open up a wine bar. When Peter and I opened a wine bar, what a wine bar. There's never been a wine bar. Let's do it. Or a scotch bar or a newspaper or a gallery or, you know, building a modern house. It's like, if you have a good idea and you ask for help in the city, people will support you and, and, and give you what you need. Yeah. There's a Robert Frost quote about writing poetry, and it's uh, he said it's a falling forward into darkness. And I always thought that was a brilliant thing to say, and, and, and sort of a, a 
standard by which one could organize the whole philosophy is that you're not if you know where you're going you've already arrived so what's the point where's the interest and i think judith and i instinctively share that sense of uh, a kind of an instinct or an appetite for doing things we don't know how to do and uh, you know see how it works out you mentioned buying the cottage we bought another cottage <laughs> it didn't work it didn't out. work out <laughs> so that you know we yeah. fell we fell on the floor in the dark yeah. that one. but that taught us that Bad cottage brought us to this cottage. Mm. So they're all instructive and uh, worthwhile adventures. And now, our, I don't think we're very, I think you're right, but I don't think we're very calculated people. Yeah. I think really um, people try to uh, glorify or mystify it. All it really comes down to is discipline and hard work. Like there's no magic. These things don't just arrive, right? It's like I get up 4 35 o'clock, I work. All day long I'm not the person drinking lattes or whatever I just do the work every single day Robert goes into his studio and paints for six to eight hours a day like there there isn't a magic in any of this it's just be disciplined and do the work right that's it <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm smiling on the other side of the table because when I sit down to watch Netflix at night, I think Robert's painting. <laughs> no, I'm watching Netflix. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's some comfort. I'm watching a lot of Netflix. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it makes me think of um, something I think you said. Uh, it's something you said years ago, Judith. Around I have the same hours in the day as everyone else. Yeah. Well, it's true, right? It's true. We all have the same amount of hours in the day. It's just what you decide you're going to do with them, right? I just love coming to work. I love my client. I love my team. I love all the projects that we're involved in. I can't wait to get up in the morning and see what the day brings forth every single day. Even on my days off, I want to be working. Which is sometimes problematic. <laughs> right. <Do> over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Rich, for talking to me. It was a delight. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to episode five of Huddle Home Office. And thank you, Robert, and thank you, Judith, for chatting with me. You can listen to past episodes of Home Office on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. And Home Office is produced by me, Shreese Letson and Tyler McLean. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and we will talk to you next week.